Hello Hello there. there. Welcome back to another episode, episode 71, to be specific, of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. Today, we are going over two very, very unusual episodes. The Deserted Part 1 and 2. As always, I'm Jacob. I'm Eli. And let's talk some Star Wars. Yes, let's talk some Deserted. That's, That's what our episodes are. Um, by the way, yeah. did you realize you said deserted? Did I say deserted? Yeah. <laughs> Go, should I redo that? Here. I'll be, I'll no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. I, I want to keep that in there, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> My yeah. favorite part is how you said it, like, absolutely just going ahead with it. Like, nothing was wrong. I, I, completely, I, I completely just misspoke and didn't even notice. But no, we were looking at the disappeared. The disappeared part one and two. Very interesting, very unorthodox episodes. Um, But uh, first, as Jacob pointed out to me, because of course, as soon as he mishears a word, I entirely forget what we do at the start of these episodes when a new show releases. Um, So both of us apparently are a little off kilter today, but we're good. Everything's good. Um, Let's talk about not one, but two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. We did not get to talk about Chapter 4 when um, Alice and Laura were here because we wanted to just focus on them and how great they were. Um, so, uh, but let's talk about both Chapter 4, which is The Gathering Storm, and Chapter 5, sorry, The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 9, Return of the <laughs> Mandalorian. Yes. Um, uh, you want to start so, us off talking about Chapter 4? Yeah, um, Chapter 4 details a lot of um, Boba's relationship with Fennec Shand, uh, and how she is, has come to help him along the way with all of his, um, exploits. Um, he, she is repaired, uh, by Boba, who salvages her from the desert after, um, the Mandalorian and Toro Calican re- rescue her for dead. She's repaired by Thundercat, which not enough Star Wars podcasts are talking about this. I'm a hu- I'm a musician myself, and I've been getting into a lot of neo-soul music these days, and I love Thundercat, and I love his music. And I look, I was, I, I watched the scene, I'm like, oh, that's a weird guy, I recognize him. I totally recognize him. And then somebody was like, oh, it's Thundercat. I'm like, what? Um... <laughs> Uh, and we also see the recruiting of Black Kersantan to the side of Boba Fett and his empire. Um, but Boba has a Godfather-type scene with um, all of the different cut cap- uh, captains who were under Jabba when he was ruling Tatooine. Um, and, he ne- and he says he's going to need help for a di- from a different ally. He's going to need to bring some more muscle in. Um, and then we hear a very similar... very. Ugh, we hear a very familiar musical theme playing that we haven't heard in about a year. Um, and that is the theme of The Mandalorian. And everyone was wondering for a week, are we going to see The Mandalorian? Is The Mandalorian going to appear in the next episode? And now we the know answer. not only is the answer yes, but it's the only thing we're going to see in that episode. And a little bit of Fennec Shan. Yeah, just a but little. it's all just Din Djarin. It's all yeah, just Yeah, it's Mando. all just Din But before we get to that... Um, uh, what are your thoughts on the Gathering Storm? Um, 
as an episode, it wasn't my favorite. I certainly liked it better than chapter three, but I thought it, it kind of, it suffered from some of the same problems where it felt a little bit too self-indulgent, very, very kind of meandering to me, even though it, even though it hit some important points, I just felt like it wasn't quite as taught or focused as as I would have liked as were episodes one and two and also episode five. But overall, you know, no huge complaints. I liked seeing how Fennec, Shand, and, and Boba get together, even if I thought it was a little bit strange that Fennec had almost no reaction to waking up with cyborg guts all of a sudden. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was kind of... I, I thought it was kind of an averaging out of some of what I really liked about the first two episodes and some of what I, what I didn't so much like about the third episode. Yeah. My review, I think maybe is a little bit more positive. I, I, I really liked the, um, I love everything they did with Kersantan and, um, with his character in the episode. I loved what, I love this like approach that we're getting to the f- finale um, and I, and I, um, of course there were some things that I was not thrilled about. Um, I think the Jabba's palace sequence where they go get, um, the fire spaceship back is a bit too long, frankly, even though I do like the Grievous chef droid. Um. Oh yeah. I love the, I love the chef droid part. There were a lot, there were a lot of cool moments in this episode yeah. that I really liked that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be overly harsh on it. I just, I yeah. just didn't think it was as um, good as it could have been. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, you want to get on to what we thought thought about um, Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian? Yes, Chapter 5, because I found Chapter 5 very, very exciting. It totally surprised me. It blew my mind in a lot of different ways. So Interesting. I, I was very so, happy. I was very happy with Chapter 5. Real. So, so I got to say, I'm not going to lie to you. I came. I watched Chapter Five for the first time. I think a little bit earlier than you did, and I said to myself right after I came out of that, "Jacob's gonna hate this." Really? Yeah. What made you think? I that? thought you would. Well, so we gotta address the elephant in the room with this, with this episode, which has come up a lot on the internet and discourse for this episode. Hmm. We have a book of Boba Fett episode without Boba Fett in the episode. Yeah. I would. I thought that was a bit weird, but quite frankly, I didn't care because it was to me it was such a fun episode and I had such a good time watching it that I honestly, yeah. I honestly didn't care. Yeah, I would. I would also add that thematically it still fits with the book of Boba Fett, um, even if uh, even if Boba is not in the episode himself, um, which is what a lot of people have pointed out. Um, I made a Twitter thread on this a few days ago. Because I've just been very annoyed um, of people, like, being too quick. I'm not saying this about you, Jacob. Uh, absolutely not. But uh, about people being a little too quick to judge Book of Boba Fett. But I think that what people are saying, I think that what people are saying is that it also has to be able to stand on it. Each episode has to be able to stand on its own, on its own two legs in the meantime. And I think the problem is that some of these some of these uh some of these episodes 
don't necessarily don't necessarily they, they don't really come across they don't really come across so well without without um more context and i think that it is i think that it's not necessarily unfair to to critique that if disney and if the creators are making the choice to say hey we're going to release these one at a time well if they're being released one at a time then they can be judged one at a time and i think it's fine if someone is saying that the show doesn't know what it what it wants to be yet because i think that it is fair to say that the show whether you think it's good whether you think it's bad i think a lot of people on of both opinions although it is still a subjective matter would agree that it is a little bit all over the place so i don't think that it's necessarily an indictment of the show so much as it is just making an observation saying this doesn't this doesn't feel quite as it should I, I agree with you on some points. I disagree with you on other points. I agree that the weekly format for this was ultimately not a great idea. I'm not exactly sure if I agree about the whole standing on its two legs things. Only because if this were The Mandalorian, I would 100% agree with you. Because The Mandalorian is an episodic show. They go do a new adventure every single episode. The Book of Boba Fett, and we didn't know this, that's the other thing, we didn't know this, is not that show. It's a, it's what we call, you know, a serialized show. It yeah. builds constantly on one story, or we think one story, um, and reveals, you know, as you say, peels back the layers on the story every single week. Um, I agree with you that I don't think that lends well to episodic, um, I, I, I agree that not, not episodic, I agree that the serialized version doesn't lend itself well to weekly releases, but I don't think that we should be judging something that is clearly meant to fit together on its ability to stand alone. I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I think it seems like a bit of a, a poor excuse to me to wave away all possibilities that you know maybe maybe this show missed the mark a little bit in terms of the consistency between episodes because there's so there are so many serialized shows both in and out of star wars that have come out bit by bit and i think that the expectation of having a show drop all at once obviously is a bit newer that i, I don't necessarily think it's i don't necessarily think it's so crazy to expect it to to expect the episodes to to have some to have some consistency, so I would disagree with you on that one. I, I I will also just clarify one of my points again in my tweet thread that I did. I said specifically, I'm not saying don't judge it at all. I'm saying I find it interesting and I find it troubling that people are willing to make final judgments based on something that isn't finished yet. Well, if you're, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, but I completely fail to see how saying it doesn't know what show it wants to be. I fail to see how that's a final judgment unless, I fail to see how that's a final judgment unless we're saying that it's a final judgment because the show is still coming out. And that's not, that's not a statement that doesn't leave room for, that doesn't leave room for progress and, and new developments as the show continues. 
So I would disagree with you on that point as well. But I understand where you're coming from. Like, I feel like, I feel like people have a tendency to really want everything to be, to be black and white. You know, I see a lot of, oh, this show sucks. Disney's ruining Star Wars. Or, oh, if you don't like this show, you're, you're spoiled and you can't handle that it's different. So like, I agree. I feel like people just need to kind of take it as it comes and wait. And I think people are, I think, I think people are kind of doing themselves a disservice. And I think what you've identified is that we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we, if we make big sweeping judgments at this stage of the game. That's, that's my problem. I understand where you're coming. Um, I, I think like if, if people were saying, oh, it's bad so far, like, you know, that's an opinion and that I don't agree with, but like, it's a little different than it doesn't know what show it wants to be, in my opinion, just because it does know what show it wants to be. You know why? Because they've already finished filming. They've already finished writing it. They've already finished filming it. Like, just because we haven't seen what show it wants to be doesn't mean it doesn't know. Okay. That's that's my that's that's my main problem with that specific argument is that just because we don't see something doesn't mean it's not there. I mean, I think that's kind of uh, to me that seems like a little bit of an ambiguation of what the person probably meant, which is just as the show is is developing because for as viewers uh, for all intents and purposes it, it is unfolding in front of our very eyes. And so to say that, I think I think it doesn't necessarily mean in a literal sense of accusing people of making it up as they go. I think it's I think it's just saying, hey, these episodes are inconsistent. The show hasn't necessarily found its tone yet, at least from what's been released. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but anyway, again, I'm just yeah. Yeah. But anyway. what, sorry, let's get on to the actual episode. Yeah. More about let's. I don't know. Is there anything more you want to say about part five? So like we got, we I loved lost. it. We got really. Um, I loved it as well. There were a lot of, there were a lot of moments that just made me go wow, in a way that, in a way that I I haven't, in a minute watching Star Wars. You know that flight test scene, that was really well done. That was absolutely thrilling. As was as was the vast majority of this episode. Yeah, I I I can confidently say now that my favorite of the live action TV directors is Bryce Dallas Howard because of this episode, basically. What else has uh, Howard directed? I'm I'm, I'm not saying because this episode came out, she's the bet. I'm saying, like, I was already starting to come to that conclusion, and this one sealed the deal. She did um, Sanctuary, the the Sorgan episode for The Mandalorian. She did The Heiress, the Bo-Katan of The Mandalorian, and then she did this. All of which are extremely... Strong episodes, in my opinion, and I and she, I think she deserves. We got a, we got some sort. We got a leak. I know a few days ago that she apparently is also on the directing staff for um, the Mandalorian season three. So um, that's good because I've I've loved everything that she's directed here. Um, that N one. I remember there were some rumors that N, Man, the Mandalorian was going to be flying an N one in season three. I'm like, that's ridiculous. They're never going to do that. Yeah, and then they it was did a it. cool moment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, um. I can't quite put my finger on it, but this episode, 
in terms of the pacing, in terms of just how it played itself out, this episode really felt like it had it it had its ducks in a row in a way that some of the other Book of Boba episodes haven't. It really had that it had that taut feeling of of no wasted air, no wasted time. That's what it felt like to me. And I think that some of the other Book of Boba episodes have gotten a little bit bogged down, um, maybe because they're focusing more on, you know, the charisma of the uh, of the characters and kind of focusing on the the star power of the characters. But this episode, I, I really appreciated how focused it felt. Yeah, I think also one of the strengths of this episode is, and I'm not saying that Boba and Fennec and... Um, all of their um, compatriots, you know, the Swoop Gang and Kersan and all those people, I'm not saying they're not engaging. They are. But there was a small part of me, and I'm sure this is, there was a small part of everybody. Again, don't want to say anything. But I was sad that we weren't going to get any more Din until a year from now. Like, yeah, me too. I had grown to love this character, and I had grown to really appreciate where his story was going. So there was this very, like, it felt almost like home. It was like a familiar feeling when we saw Din again. I'm like, oh, this is so nice. We get Din again. Not that I don't like Boba. I do. I love this show. And I love seeing Boba absolutely just go nuts and do the Boba Fett things. But Boba, the first time I really felt like he was a cool character was in the tragedy. And we've spent now, what? the equivalent of four episodes, five episodes with him, Din we spent two seasons with. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, and, and Fennec we've spent, you know, uh, a few episodes in season one, a few episodes, uh, one episode in season one, two episodes in season two, and then, like, a few episodes in The Bad Batch. And I love her, but, like, again, we just haven't spent that much time with these characters. But to bring Din back in, We've spent so much time with him, and we're so invested in him that it almost seems natural as if that's the way to go. It really, really made me curious and excited for what comes next. You know, why have they dedicated an entire episode in the book of Boba Fett to just talk about Din without even having Mando, you know? What is this? What is this leading us up to? What is the payoff going to be? So I'm very excited. I'm very excited for uh, for this upcoming Wednesday to see I'm, um, I'm very, to see what pans out. I'm very excited as well. I've heard a lot of people talking about the similarities between Din and Boba. You know, they've both been rejected out of the lives that they were most comfortable with. Boba as a bounty hunter and Din as a Mandalorian, and they're kind of having to forge new identities for themselves. Boba as a crime lord. Din as... We're still figuring that one out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I've noticed a lot of people's interesting ideas on this. I'm very excited for where for where this is going to go. Um, but Me let's, let's Let's talk about um, the Clone Wars, though. Let's talk about the Clone Wars. Let's talk about the disappeared parts one and two. Um... And I have an idea. Uh, yeah. Jacob, mm -hmm. because these are named parts one and two, do you want me to just summarize them the entire way? 
Yeah, let's just do it. I feel like, I don't know. In The Disappeared, um, Jar Jar Binks and Jedi Master Mace Windu are summoned to the planet of Bardotta, ruled by the, the Goyan Council of Mystics um, that rule over the planet and basically are passive in... They're, they're passive lookers, viewers into the Force. Um, and the Dragoyan Council's been disappearing. One by one, they've been disappearing. And nobody knows what to do. And the queen of the planet, Queen Julia, who we found out used to be a lover of Jar Jar in some capacity. Um, Still is, it would seem to me, judging by these yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah, um, summons Jar Jar to the planet. Jar Jar brings Mace Windu along because nobody trusts Jar Jar to solve this on his own. Um, uh, and while Jar Jar and Julia are having a private meeting... Um, Mace Windu summons Jar Jar outside, and then when they come back in, the queen is gone. Um, the rest of the Bardans freak out because if she's gone for too long, three standard rotations, they say, they're, they're, they have a prophecy that a darkness will spread across the stars, it will be irreversible, it'll be very bad. Um, so Jar Jar and Mace Windu go to an ancient temple to try and see if they can try and find um, uh, who kidnapped uh, Queen Julia and what their plans are for her. Jar Jar actually gets kidnapped himself by the main culprits of this, uh, a cult called the Frangal cult, whose goal is to sacrifice Julia and use her life essence to do something. They don't know what yet. Um... Uh, and then Jar and then Mace Windu get, gave Jar Jar a comic before Jar Jar calms Windu. Windu goes and rescues him from the um, from the Frangal cult right before they sacrifice his essence. In part two, um, they track the ship that takes Queen Julia to a nearby moon, um, and uh, they hurry through the marketplace defeating cultists. And defeating um, these stone guardians along the way to try and rescue Queen Julia. We eventually learn that Julia's life essence is going to be given to who's called the Great Mother, or as we know her, Mother Talzin, who wants more power. Um, and so there's going to be this ritual with the sun, and it's going to suck out her life essence and give it to uh, Talzin. Um, Luckily, Jar Jar and Mace Windu arrive in time to save the day. Mace Windu duels Mother Talzin, um, but eventually Jar Jar and Julia um, make a cultist stand in the um, in the ritual space. Um, the sacrifice goes wrong. They knock over the globe the globe of life essence. Um, Talzin disappears into the mists, and the rescue is complete. Mace Windu, Julia, and Jar Jar ride off into the sunset. Fortune Cookie is, without darkness, there cannot be light for the part one. What do you make of this one, Eli? Because this one, to me, I don't know. I didn't have a lot to say about it, especially given this arc. It is a little bit on the goofier side. So I'm going to be honest. It, I was a little bit stoned by this one. It felt like a little bit of a, a truism. Like, yeah, you can this say that about... This one is really... Yeah, this one's really strange for me. 
I like the second one much better than the first one. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about the balance of the Force and, you know, all the stuff. We talked about it, Mortis. Um, and I actually literally said in my notes, I'm like, I don't know how this fits into this episode. I think maybe because of, I think it's maybe saying because of the growing darkness, Mace Windu and Jar Jar get their chance to be heroic, which is cool, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think in a wider sense, without darkness, there cannot be light. I think in a wider sense, this kind of just references the perennial struggle of the galaxy of the of the light side and the dark how the heroes our heroes the jedi mace windu jar jar binks always have to be ready and willing to fight and to sacrifice for the balance of the force you know for the light side whether that be the jedi whether that be Bardot and mysticism. I think the 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 best. My best guess is kind of just you got to stay ready because it's never truly over. Yeah, because there has absolutely. to be darkness for there to be light. Is what they're saying. Absolutely, no one's ever really gone. Um, yeah, same same uh, same vibe. Definitely same vibe. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, let's get into this. Um, you know, I know you are a little turned off to episodes like these because you find the goofy episodes more unappealing to you. Is that correct? I don't want to put my words in your mouth. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's the goofy episodes. You know, obviously I, I found things that I, even though you liked it more, I found a lot to love in our, in our, uh, rewatch of a sunny day in the void but i think it's episodes it's episodes like this where it's not necessarily that they're bad i don't think these are bad episodes say what you want about jar jar binks but i found a lot to enjoy in these episodes they are i would call them head scratcher episodes they're like oh this is the the final for now, like, oh, this is the Lost Missions, the final season of the Clone Wars until season seven, you know? This is the the final... The the final... What's the word I'm looking for? This is the final build-up, I guess. The final build-up to Order 66. This is where it all comes down to the line. The, the darkness is about to swallow up the galaxy. And here we are showing uh, Jar Jar Binks riding backwards on a, uh, a Star Wars ostrich, um to uh to save his uh former girlfriend from people wearing masks you know so it, i don't mean that to be a criticism of the episode i think that it is like i said i think the best way to describe it is just in the context of the show at the time and in the context of the clone wars really at any time this is one of those episodes it's like the episode i can't remember what it's called Maybe it's called Mercy Mission, one of those episodes where R2 and C-3PO get sucked underground and they have a whole series of yeah. misadventures on the planet of tiny people. Like, it's episodes like that where you're just like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what made them decide to go ahead with that. And I do I do think that this is, this is a much better arc 
than that arc. So perhaps the comparison I, isn't fair. I was I was going to say I'm like I love this. I like this much better than Mercy Mission. Yeah, um, but but that is all to say that is all just to say that even though I even though I find this to be a a, a bit of a, a confusing choice for them to 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 give this story the the final nod in season six that that is not a criticism of it that is just to uh it's a confusion of yours yeah it's just a confusion of mine a little bit so jacob i want to ask you something have you ever seen indiana jones in the temple of doom i have not you should totally see it i understand there's some racist stuff in it with certain Indian stereotypes, which is not very good. But it's awesome. It's a great movie, and I love it so much. This is the Star Wars version of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm. And and it's my favorite Jones movie, too. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know what it is that I just love about this arc so much. But it's kind of what you said, you know. The da- galaxy is going into darkness, you know. We got the Order 66 arc. We have Anakin and Padme's relationship deteriorating. We're going to see Yoda and everybody questioning what this is all for. And Jar Jar still has time to save his girlfriend from a cult. Yeah. Yeah, that's, exa- <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. But I, I, I do think that there is, there is a lot of cool stuff in this episode, you know. No, I, I, I mean that is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean that is a good thing. It's very cool to see... Be able to see Force users who tap into the Force, not just as a non-Jedi and a non-Sith, but they're experiencing the Force and interacting with it in a completely different way. Like the Night Sisters, I think that is, I think that yeah. is something that's that's really cool. It's funny. Once, even if you remove Talzin from the picture, my mind automatically jumped to Night Sisters because it seems like the Dagoyan Masters are the inverse of the night sisters in a lot of different ways yeah i would i would agree they um, are very very passive as you said they're observers of the force almost yeah and you know night sisters say they're passive and i know they're they are technically passive but like look at all their appearances in the shows and tell me they're passive yeah yeah um, absolutely and yeah it's um so here's what i want to know actually here i want to know your thoughts about this do the the goyan masters survive into the era of the empire i doubt it i think they're one of those things that the empire just would decide I think the emperor or someone in those early years of the emperor in the in those early years of the empire it's one of those things that he would just with a wave of his hand decide ah nah just just get rid of them they're they might cause trouble down the line just get rid of them or I could see the emperor honestly trying to maybe trying to maybe um gosh convert them to the dark side you know try and um you know, make them into into kind of dark side, evil force using fortune tellers, something like that. I don't know. 
Yeah. I don't know what it was. In my, I, I actually thought about that in my notes. And for me, I thought Sidious wouldn't care enough. It'd be like, oh, a bunch of light side, like, fu- future seers who are not yeah. going to attack me at any time. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I, I definitely could yeah. see it going both ways. But let's let's jump in here. What What's the angle you want to take? How do you want to crack open this episode, Eli? Since this is, this is the kind of episodes that I feel like you really go for. So I want to give you the floor. Yeah. I want to talk about Mace Windu. This episode gave me, this arc as a whole, gave me a little bit of a new look at Mace Windu. Now, if we recall, um, those of you who have listened to In a Galaxy before know that I'm not a huge fan of the Jedi Master. But I'm not going to lie, this episode made me gain some sympathy, sympathy for him. Interesting. How come? I definitely, I, I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Because it's it's one of those things where, you know, this is one of the only arcs, one of the only pieces of Star Wars content that I really think that I really can think of off the top of my head, that suggests to us that Mace Windu is capable of change. It's yeah. one of his greatest weaknesses. It's it, it, he is one of those people who knows what they believe and is so steadfast in their belief that it's very hard to change what they believe in. Um, Yeah, he's definitely a very rigid person, even for the Jedi. Yeah. And, you know, that can be good in some ways, but it can also be incredibly damaging in other ways, and we see a lot of that, you know. um, I'm thinking, you are on this council, we do not grant you the rank of master. I'm sorry, citizen, these matters are beyond your concern. Yeah. Um, he definitely really just wants to play by the book. So it's interesting yeah. that he goes out of that here. It is. And, and he, you know, he's placed up, um, he's placed with Jar Jar, who's a yeah. walking, talking version of Murphy's Law. When you're yeah. with Jar Jar, anything that can go wrong will. And at the beginning of the first episode, he's just like, Oh, why did I do this? Yeah. Yeah, he really changes a lot, at least in his yeah. approach to Jar Jar and his respect for Jar Jar. Yeah. I think what's interesting, you know, this is going to jump forward in the episode a little bit, but Jar Jar actually even tells off Mace Windu, and Mace Windu kind of gets humbled when he, you know, rushes in, busts into the to the chambers of of uh, of Jar Jar, and the queen saying, yo, I have to hear what's going on. When the, the queen was about to tell Jar Jar the secret, which would have what saved him so much on. trouble. Yeah. And then Jar Jar, and Mace Windu is like, what are you doing? Like, this is, you're messing up the mission. Like, we got to do this my way. And Jar Jar is saying, no, dude, I'm the only reason there is any mission. So he kind of, he yeah. kind of tells Mace Windu what's what. And I find that, I find that very interesting. And it's a, it's a humbling moment because Mace thinks that Jar Jar will mess shit up. But in the end, he is the Jar Jar. He is the Jar Jar in that moment. That is very good. I love that. I do like that. That's very that's a very good observation. Um yeah, it's it's Mace Windu out of his element, which I really like to see. And there is that there's that final line of the episode that I want to point out. He goes in in part one he goes in the final the final line is Jar Jar, maybe it's this place, 
but you're starting to make sense to me. Yeah, that was a big That's growth right there. That's growth right there. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine Mace Windu telling Jar Jar Binks of all people that he makes sense? Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's one of those things where (laughs) you, 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 you... you can't that's what i love about this show and what i love about specifically this arc if you had told me half of these things that happened in this arc i would have said that sounded like the worst episode two two episodes of star wars the clone wars that would have ever existed i would be right there with you but you'd but you watch it and it works it just makes sense yeah I mean, yeah, yeah, and and for me, what's what I noticed as well is that why does it feel like some of the goofiest episodes of the Clone Wars have some of the most remarkable visuals? Because I I thought, I mean, obviously we're we're in Endgame Clone Wars. You know, the animation has been upgraded substantially since the beginning of the show, but these two episodes, man, they are beautiful. They're absolutely they beautiful. The attention the to detail looks really great. Yeah, especially in the second episode, with the green kind of the green tint over everything, the night market. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Every, everything it's, it's looks all beautiful. Great. It's all beautiful. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'll I'll say this to you too. Um, this is the larger point that I was going to make later, but I'll ju- I might as well just make it now. This is you know everybody talks about what your Star Wars is. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Disappeared is quintessentially some of my Star Wars. It's some of the Star Wars that works the best for me. I know a lot of people love their dark stuff. You know, their Empires, their Last Jedi's, their Rogue Ones, their, you know, Ahsoka Trial Arc. I know that's what draws a lot of people. And that's fine. If, if that's your thing, go with it. I'm happy for you. My thing is the lighter, but like very adventurous stuff. You know... I think that's why I love Rise of Skywalker a lot. There's like there's a lot of that in Jedi. There's a lot of that in both seasons of Resistance. There's a lot of that in this. There's a lot of that in the next arc, the Yoda and the Force arc. Um, and I don't know what it is. Like World Between Worlds, I also put down J- Jedi Fallen Order. There's a lot yeah. of that adventurous stuff. I think a lot that of just... the things. I I think some of them are tied together by. What I what I think of as the uh, the George Lucas fever dream factor. Yeah, we all have a little bit of that feeling of George Lucas. You know, he went to the dentist. You know, he got some teeth pulled. He come. He's coming back. He's still very high, and he goes into the writers' room. He goes into Skywalker Ranch. He goes in the writers' room, and he says, "This is what we're gonna do, people." listen up and then he just starts talking and everyone else who's on his payroll just has to write it down just and then he goes says okay it. turn it into a fully fledged product and put that on the airwaves do it now. yeah that's what some of these feel like to, 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 like, certain, to certain degrees this one definitely higher up on that scale i would have to say yeah it's like okay here's what we gotta do okay what if we have a bounty hunter Who's the same species as Saisi Teen, and he's played and he's voiced by Joe Manganiello yeah. in a show about pilots, 
Everybody's like, what the hell are you talking about? That's an actual two-part episode in the second season of Resistance. Also, his name is Axe to Grin, as in Axe to Grind. How is that not incredible? Some of the things... So I think the... In Legend... Both in Legends and Canon, I think one of Star Wars' strengths is its sheer breadth that just allows allows it to try out so many different things. Yeah. Actually more speaking often than this... not, they turn out pretty cool, I think. Yeah. That um it's something that um Alex Damon from Star Wars Explain brings up. He he goes, I love when Star Wars swings for the fences. Even if it misses, I love when it tries. And I yeah. agree with that wholeheartedly. When it just does things and it is unafraid to do them, that's that's when I think Star Wars is the most fun. Also by the way, I wanna point out, out to you Top five Star Wars name here. The Frangal Cult. Yes, the Frangal Cult. You just swallowed like a bug or something. The Frangal Cult. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. I love Speaking it so much. Speaking of the Frangal Cult, I want to talk about the cave scene because we get a classic Star Wars meme, Jar Jar saying, Oh no, Misa disappeared. <laughs> I forgot that was a meme, actually. Yeah. I mean, the cave scene, I thought it was sick. The Wait, I just realized something. Was... Did the cave scene predict um, Infinity War? What do you mean? Because of the, the, um, the, what is it, the snap at the end. Like, I, there was very similar, oh. it was very similar visually, the snap in Infinity War and Jar Jar disappearing when they threw the thing at him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you never know. <laughs> I, I, I now, I, now I just thought about Ma- Master and Mace. Misa no feel so good. Oh jeez, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but amazing visuals in the cave scene. The essence stealing ritual. Now I knew, I knew going into this that it was gonna be Talzin who was behind all this. But I mean that should tip you off right there. The the oh, bright yeah. green color, like that is that is classic Night Sister. That is absolutely classic yeah. Night Sister. I think that ritual with Jar Jar and the is is is. And I'm saying this. I'm not sure if you looked at the episode guide. If you did, um, great. If you didn't, that's fine too. I'm 100% telling you that the that the ritual scene from the first one, especially the first one is right out of Temple of Doom. There's a very similar um, sequence about an hour into Temple of Doom um, where they try to... They do this thing that's really weird. Okay, this is going to sound really weird, but they do this. The shaman of the tribe, the like the barbaric tribe in Temple of Doom, does this thing where he reaches into somebody and pulls out their heart. Oh, this is an actually in this is actually an Indiana Jones movie, and he can just reach inside somebody and pull out their heart. Crazy! It's Absolutely really crazy. weird. It's so yeah. funny. Um, yeah, I mean, this episode definitely seems like it was intended to show some love to Indiana Jones. Obviously, the riding yeah. into the sunset at the very end of the oh, second that, episode. That's straight out of Last Crusade. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, um, 
Yeah, I love. I like that. I really like this first episode. Um, cool at the end, you know. Mace Windu, he shows some respect and appreciation for for Jar Jar, and that's that that's Star Wars to me. You know, no matter who you are, even if you're Jar Jar, you can step up and be a hero. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm saying even if you're Jar Jar because the same thing with Jar Jar has actually <laughs> played out several times during the Clone Wars. Yeah, I was about to say also, this. Like, I don't know if you you caught this or like if you thought about this too, but um, this episode feels to me this arc these two feel like a sequel to Bombad Jedi. Oh, hundred percent. That was exactly the episode I had in mind. That is exactly the episode I would compare this to. Yeah, because because it's 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 like kind of the same thing. Yeah, he, he takes over even more in this one because in Bombad Jedi he just gets he kind of lucks out or lucks into some interesting situations, but in this he really he he takes charge. He actually knows what he's he knows what he's doing, which I think is cool and not something that we've seen before. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. So I, I wanted to bring neat. up a bit of trivia that I found interesting for this episode, and, and I just checked to make sure it was absolutely true, and it is. Did you check the who wrote this episode? Both I did of not. Them. His name is Jonathan W. Rinsler. Hmm. You might Wait know of Mr. Wait Jonathan W. Rinsler because he wrote several of the behind-the-scenes, the making of Star Wars books. It's that Jonathan Rinsler. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Rinsler died last year. I think he had... I feel, he had a stroke. I know he had a stroke. I think he might have died of a stroke or something. Let me see. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, it's, it's very unfortunate. But it, it was... Unfortunately, we knew it was coming for a little while. But... Um, uh, but he had long lobbied, apparently, to write few episodes of the clone wars good for and him man. they gave him these two um which you know he wrote he he wrote the making of star wars he wrote the making of revenge of the sith he wrote um you know he wrote the sounds of star wars the making of empire the making of jedi and you know he worked very closely um about he worked very closely with Lucasfilm, and so I don't think it's very surprising to me that this arc feels like a cross between Star Wars and Jones, because those are their two most major properties. Let's go on to the next one. All right. The Disappeared. Part, Part two. two. Wisdom is born in fools as well as wise men. That's this, this covers something you were talking about a little earlier. Yeah. What are you going to say? Sorry. I was going to say, I know I see where this is going, but I think the point of this episode of this arc is, is kind of almost of more of a, uh, a Jar Jar is no fool, perhaps. That's what it, uh, that's what it kind of seemed like to me, to be honest. I think the, if you put fool in air quotes, I think it works yeah, a bit fool better. Kind of as a Jar Jar is is known to be a fool. I see what you're. Is the supposed fool? He is definitely the. He is often a, an actual fool, but in here he is 
the supposed fool. And Mace Windu certainly underestimates him and kind of takes him for a fool. So I think you're right. I think it is more a fool in that kind of metaphorical, almost literary sense, like what Obi-Wan says yeah. who is more foolish the fool or the, the fool, fool or the fool him, who you know? follows him yeah like in that in that sense i i understand when you bring when you bring that up i understand much more where this is kind of coming from yeah it's not necessarily literally oh you don't know what you're this person doesn't know what they're talking about so yeah i like that actually i think I that is a, do... a good point I also do think that this episode and these episodes both serve as quite of a redemption arc for Jar Jar. Um, yeah. Because, you know, Jar Jar was the... probably one of the most hated parts of the prequels. And I yeah. think this did a lot, love him or hate him, to redeem his reputation um, to show that he wasn't just this clumsy Gungan who could do nothing good. You know, that yeah. he had feelings and he had thoughts and he had desires as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Definitely. Um, by the way, did you notice that, um, uh, let me say, we get a lot of Phantom Menace references in this episode, which I love, um, when... Mace Windu's talking about the Force guiding him. Uh, uh, Jar Jar goes, Oh, Maxi, beat the Force! Yeah, which is yeah. Straight from Phantom Menace. Um, and then he also, and, and then Mace Windu says to him later, Do not center on your anxieties, Jar Jar. Yeah, a lot of Phantom Menace. To, Don't center on your anxieties, everyone. Yeah. yeah and then, um,. And then also, um, Misa get. I also did you notice Misa getting a creep in feeling here? Mm, yeah. Jar Jar has a bad feeling about this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. What do you got for um jumping into the episode? I mean, once again, I had in my notes wondering why existential crisis. Why do the 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 strangest, most out of left field episodes have the most, oftentimes some of the most remarkable visuals. Um, I did yeah. notice, I'm not sure what that was about. We see one of the, the cultists, um, a Cathar, a species, holding what appears to be a loth cat in their arms. Maybe it's a, a, a Tuka cat, because I know that that is supposedly related, you know, with the, the Tuka dolls, Boil and Waxer, I think that, that is that is something. But it looks to me an awful lot like a Loth cat, which I which I found very interesting, because I, I was under the assumption that they had been created for Rebels, but this looked almost exactly like a Loth cat, except blue and green rather than, you know, beige-colored. Interesting. I'm not sure if I know what you're talking about. I just looked up Cather, the Cather species, and apparently it says that the first appearance wasn't until, in canon, wasn't until 
um, the final novel in the Alphabet Squadron book uh, uh, trilogy of books, uh, Victory's Price. Maybe I'm thinking of a maybe I'm thinking of a different species then. Maybe I maybe I said the yeah. wrong name, but it's one of these. It's the same species as um, no, sorry, not Cather, Zygerian. Oh, Zygerian, Zygerian yeah, 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 not Cather. Yeah. Oh, I remember that now. I yeah, confused. I was about to say yeah. Cather is um, uh, Juhani from Knights of the Yeah, Old yeah, no, not Cather, not Cather, but Zygerian. Uh, yeah, Zygerian. No, I remember that too. Um, I I'm trying to remember. I think it did have some. I think it might have been a Tuka cat, but I do remember that. Yeah, um, it could have been a Loth cat. You know, who knows? Um, uh, what was I gonna say? Um, so what do you think about Talzin here? I mean, Talzin in this episode, it was, I'm a little torn because on the one hand, oh, you know, it is cool to see Talzin come back, have a bit of a last hurrah for her in the Clone Wars being such an interesting character, such an influential character, one of those recurring, one of the many very intriguing recurring villains of the Clone Wars. However, <coughs> excuse me, however, it did also feel a bit like, wait, you're still at this? Like, you're still, you're still trying? You haven't gone into exile to try and just rebuild the, the last of the Night Sisters, which I mean, Although that is supposedly what she is, she is doing doing here. It felt a bit, it felt a bit odd. It felt kind of like this was, this was some desperate attempt to to regain the, uh, the former glory of the of the Night Sisters. So I don't know. Well, first of all, it's not her last hurrah. We know it's actually not her last hurrah. Her last hurrah is something that was going to be an arc of the Clone Wars, but actually ended up being. Um, adapted into a comic series, actually. I, I meant um, her last hurrah in the show. Oh yeah, and her last not not yeah, not literally actually, like her last hurrah in all yeah. of in all of Star yeah. Wars. Just just in the show, yeah. you know, given yeah. that she was such a big part of the Clone Wars, often. Yeah, and, actually, that's kind of why I'm conflicted about it because I know she dies very soon. Yeah, but you and can. It's interesting. Character. You can feel the desperation that she has here. Like, this is not oh, the night. This is not the Mother Talzin that we saw manipulating Dooku and taking on yeah. Savage. Yeah, yeah, this is this is not the um he should never make deals with Night Sisters tells them. This is the Well shit, I gotta make I gotta make yeah. some kind of reentrance into the civilized galaxy again and I don't know how to do it, so we're gonna just try this and hope nobody notices. What yeah. a Jedi noticed? Oh it's not gonna be any big Jedi or just something like eh, I don't know, maybe I don't know, who knows. Uh oh shoot it's Mace Windu? Are you sure it was Mace Windu? Oh no, this is this is not good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's so. This is interesting. Talzin hints in this episode that she that that so so the energy she's collecting from Julia to make herself more powerful is said to be from the living force and she interesting that she acknowledges it as the living force because i thought that she would have been like no it's spirit energy like that's the true interpretation 
So I was a little surprised by that choice. Yeah. I mean, I think she recognizes that her magic is used through the Force. Or at mm. least that's always been my interpretation. Yeah. Because of... it, it did feel a little weird to hear her talk about the living Force and terminology like that. Jedi terminology, I thought. Or at least... Yeah people who understand the force in the mainstream conventional Jedi Sith binary sense, which clearly she has a very different take with her magics. And she actually, it's interesting that she actually sheds some light on that, you know, saying like, Oh, I'm not actually a natural force user. I use dark magic. I'm kind of like, well, what's at a certain point, what's the difference? You know? Yeah. So that's, that's my, I, I had a lot of those same questions, but my question was, so if she doesn't use the living force, then she's only able to cap into the other part of the Force, which we know as the Cosmic Force. I didn't know yeah. someone was able to tap into one and not the other one. Yeah. I mean, if they want to make assumed... it a bigger distinction, it makes sense. Because to me, it never seemed like a, a Cosmic Force, Loving Force, never seemed like a particularly relevant distinction, you know, from the sense of, oh, it surrounds us, penetrates us, binds the galaxy together. It's like, oh, it's all just the Force. But I guess this kind of makes makes it a little bit more of a relevant distinction, I think. Yeah. It's it, it's interesting, and I, I got a lot of, out of that and just some interesting questions about that. I don't know if you thought about this too, but this arc, the entire arc, reminded me a lot of Jedi Fallen Order. With a lot of these ancient relics and guardians and all that kind of... The stone guardians remind me a lot of the temple guardians from Jedi Fallen Order on Zepho. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 100%. It's... It, it's um, and, I, and I love that. Um, I will also yeah. just say this. This is cool. Did you notice that Talzin, um, her the, the rumble, that the voice modifications they made to her when she speaks? Did you notice they were weaker than yeah. usual? Yeah. I was expecting them to not be present at all, given that she wasn't on Dathomir. Because I thought well, the entire she goes to idea... other planets and they're still pre present. Though. Yeah, like she goes to I think Sereno and they're still present. Yeah, I mean there. it's interesting because my understanding was that the Night Sisters' powers and their connection to the Force or what they see as the magics. My understanding was that was that was kind of predicated on their proximity to Dathomir but maybe maybe that is just legends yeah I can see why you think that and I'm, I'm not sure you're not I'm not sure you're um wrong about that my thing was like the the low voice rumble and the inconsistent voice rumble for me signified that she was losing her powers that you know mm, yeah that she is you know that she doesn't have enough power to be into as intimidating as she once was. And so the rumble is like not with her every word. It's with her every like it, it just kind of accompanies her sentences and it doesn't like transform as much, I guess. I don't know. Um, I love Talzin in this and I think. Yeah. I think she's really interesting and um and, and 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 I just I just feel like I want to want to see her more because every every um, appearance we get, 
I just want more of her to see what she's about. Yeah, definitely. A, um, she's definitely an enigma. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, getting on to, I guess, the, the climax of this episode, where Jar Jar Binks kind of becomes a uh, an all-star yeah for a moment he really steps up what do you what do you make of what do you make of that because i i thought it was quite exciting and i really i really liked when um you know throughout this episode you know he's giving he's giving speeches to the to the council he's saying like oh don't worry about it we're gonna we're gonna do this yada yada like i i was i i was thoroughly impressed i was like wow this this jar jar guy maybe he's maybe he's more than he's cracked up to be you know so you I, know, I quite like that they gave his character a little bit of a different dimension. I did too. I think I might have watched the duel from this episode, the end of the, the end duel between Windu and Talzin, before I actually watched the full episode. Believe it or not, mm. I think I found like a clip of it on YouTube. I may or have as well. It's one. It. It's one that definitely makes the rounds. Yeah, on the it's, it's a great place. one. It's a. It's frankly, it's, it's a great one. Um, and the beginning of the duel. Um, uh, he, uh, Frangal Caldus goes, the Jedi are here, and Mace Windu goes, you mean the Jedi and the Gungan. Yeah, that was the, for and, me, that was the and, moment where it was like, oh man, Jar Jar's about it. And, and, and like, and when I saw that for the first time, I'm like, that's a real, little bit of a weird line, it's, but it's a cartoon, it's a cartoony line. But now, watching it, like, fully, like, in a row with, like, that, and getting all that development, it's not, it's no longer a well, but technically, line, it's a, you forgot a very important part of this equation line. Like, jo- yeah. that's, it's a line acknowledging Jar Jar's importance in a way that is, it, it's a really validating feeling to see Jar Jar get the credit. And then he blasts those people away with the, what what weapon is that? The weird uh, the gun. Weird, the, the crazy laser gun. Crazy laser beam yeah. gun. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, it was, I thought it was pretty good. It, it was great. Um, and the, 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 that's, it's a really nice finishing of that arc for Jar Jar and Mace as well. Um, no, I love the Windu Talzin duel. I think that's one of the most underrated duels in the show. Um, yeah, 100%. It, it hit hard. It hit hard in all the right ways, I thought. I was not really expecting much. And it wasn't really a crazy involved duel, but no, it, wasn't, it, did, what but it, it like, did what it had to do. Yeah, and and, and um, for those of you who are big Galaxy of Heroes players, like Jacob and I are, um, you'll recognize Spirit Blade Assault, which is her second special ability in this episode. Yes, I was saying that it, that comes straight from this episode. Straight yep. from this episode, that was that was quite cool um, to see. You could also argue that her basic ability, Icar Lightning, also comes from this episode. Yeah, I think it does as well. Um, because where else uh, do we see that? Her, her, I mean, her third ability comes from um, second the second, uh, ability. second ability, the Grievous ability, the episode where Grievous attacks. I think yeah, Ta- I know. man, Tal- Talzin really a, a bit of random random bit of Galaxy of Heroes un- unashamed hashtag mobile gaming uh, talk. Mother Talzin, her she's one of the one, one characters whose abilities in that game are really really tied into how she actually looks when she's when she's doing doing her thing yeah. in her show or her movie. To, but anyway. to go to go up on a bit of a Galaxy of Heroes tangent, Mother Talzin is one of those characters 
that I don't care if she's gear 10 or if she's gear, like, I don't care if she's gear 7 or if she's relic 5. I get that, like, I get a little wheel turning in my head. I'm like, oh, be careful. You don't want that plague. Mm, it's that. You don't want that plague on you. That plague. That plague. That's just like Mother That's just like Mother Talzin in the, uh, in yeah. the show, you know, she, you never know when she's going to be lurking just in the wings. Popping just popping back up again, yeah. Just ready to stir the pot, you know? Just um, ready to stir the pot. Did you notice that once Talzin is defeated, it, the, it suddenly goes from night to day on the planet? Yes, I did notice that. Very cool detail, I thought. I really like that. Um, just one of the many, one of the many moments in this episode where I was just like, wow. For, for a pretty... For a, for an episode that is pretty unabashedly a side quest, a bit of a side story, the attention to detail is is really fantastic, and it really just it's shows great. how far the show came in its time. So props yeah. to the Clone Wars for that one, major props. So here's my hot take about this arc. Okay, um, these are I guess in conjunction with some of my closing thoughts. Is that is that okay if we go to closing thoughts? Yeah, of course, yeah. I think this epi- this arc deserved an extra episode. Actually. Do you think so? I do. I think there were a few things in, like, I love this arc, but there were, like, so many things that I'm like, oh, I want to know more about that. And there's, like, not in a bad way. I just, like, 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 like they introduced this whole new culture of the Bardottans, and we spend, like, five minutes with them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I want to know about how they operate. And then they introduce the Frangal cult, and we see a lot of their operations. And I'm like, I want to know where they come from. And then they introduce Talzin back again. I'm like, I want to know what she's been up to this entire time. Yeah. Um, and I really Perth- feel like an extra episode could have really fleshed that out. Yeah. I think personally, I thought two episodes was great because I thought that they really kind of it kept it from meandering too much. It was kind of, I thought it was short and sweet and it did leave me wanting a tad more, but I think that would be better than the potential, the potential alternative, which would be it dragging out and getting bogged down, which does happen in these kinds of arcs more often than the average Clone Wars arc. That being said, I do think that if they really if they really thought it out and if they if they got the the beats of the story right, I do think an extra episode wouldn't have hurt. But I also thought that it didn't it didn't particularly hurt it that it was two episodes either. At least in my okay. experience. That's fair. Um I, I, I would have loved thing. to see what I would have loved yeah. to see what they would have done in a third with this. Really get into that Binks, the Binks Windu dynamic, which was unexpected yeah. and quite honestly kind of delightful and wholesome. It, it it was great, and I would have placed it for me. I would have placed it in the middle. I would have had, I would have had um, the part one be part one, and the part two we got be part three, and then have a little more exploring in between. Mm, yeah. Um. But yeah, no. Um, what do you think overall about this? Overall, I think I would say it was. 
I was I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I definitely thought that although the Clone Wars definitely does a great job with a lot of its big heavy hitting moments, you know, that we've had quite a lot of recently, you know, the Ahsoka arc, the Fives arc, things of that nature. I do think that the Clone Wars also shines when it is able to kind of release the pressure a little bit and just do something different, let some of the characters breathe a little bit more, you know, let them, let these personalities just kind of bounce off each other without some massive galaxy-changing fateful event that's dictating the flow of the story. So I found it, I found it quite enjoyable, and I thought it was a, I definitely thought it was a breath of fresh air. So maybe it's not such a not such a head scratcher, the placement after all, because I thought it had a good balance of, you know, having a little bit more levity, but also still feeling like oh, there could be some consequences here. I I absolutely agree um, with a lot of what you said. As I mentioned before, this is my, this is Star Wars that really hits me the right way. That like I'm like yeah, I really dig this. Like. It's goofy as all hell, sure, I'm willing to accept that, but it's fun, it provides some new interesting context about a new interesting force-using culture. I mean, we're just checking boxes of what I like about Star Wars at this point. Um, uh, but, uh, let's get in, um, let's get into everybody's favorite part of Star Wars in a Galaxy. What you've brought me today is worth one quarter portion. That's right. We got one quarter portion um, where we do a little something different. We got Star Wars opinions today. We ask each other two each Star Wars opinion-based questions. Uh, Jacob, why don't you start us off? All right. Kicking us off. What piece of Star Wars content would be the most mind-blowing for people if you were to somehow travel back in time to, let's say, 1999? And show it 99 pre phantom free menace pre phantom yeah well, let's say like right before phantom pre like pre like the spe like the special editions are, are dropping in theaters this this time okay know? the resurgence let's call it that's a really good question i mean i always go for this kind of thing um with um uh with um massacre the clone wars mm. episode massacre why why uh. that episode specifically it's nuts. They've never seen an army of droids before in 1999, pre-Phantom Menace. They've never seen these Night Sisters before. Depending on if they've seen the trailers, they might have seen someone that looks a little bit like Darth Maul. Um, but, like, you know, Massacre's crazy when you don't have the context. Like, it's 100%. nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Yeah. So I, I totally... I totally see why that's a great pick. Yeah. What, what would your yeah. choice be? Mm, that's tough because I didn't think about this, but I would probably say a world between worlds just because of how many things that touches on. And also it's pretty mind boggling even, even in 2018 when it came out and even today in 2022. So one can only imagine, you know, before all the, the different story elements, before we're used to just how zany 
it can get, you know? So that'd be yeah, magic. absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Um, you want me to ask the first question? Go for it. Okay, let's go. Um, so we recently got news from uh, EA Respawn, who is the studio that um, produced Jedi Fallen Order, that they're in the midst of making three new Star Wars games, one of which is the next in the Jedi saga at following Jedi Fallen Order. Um, what do you want to see in the Fallen Order sequel? I want to see in the Fallen Order sequel? That is a good question. I think... I would want to see I would want to see more of the non force using perspectives on the Jedi in it in a post Jedi era in an era where the Jedi are already sh shrouded in mystery before order 66 but after between the fact that a there hardly are any Jedi and b the Empire is basically trying to convince everyone that they never even existed in the first place or that they're semi-mythical. How does that filter through to the average Imperial citizen? How do we see that in people who are maybe a little bit more pro-Empire, maybe people who are a little bit more skeptical, maybe people who are full-on full on against the empire you know i think that'd be cool that would be very cool i'm i absolutely and and we're in the era to do it you know we're uh fallen or was five years after uh sith and you know we're, we're definitely in the era to do that and i'm very excited to see whatever they bring my pick here's my here's my absolutely this is off the wall this is like tinfoil hat speculation probably not going to happen but i'm gonna pitch it to you okay okay Clone Force 99. Ooh. I want to see the Bad Batch in Fallen Order 2. Would that confirm they all survived the show at least five years? Yes. Do I care? Not really. I want to see all of them. I want to see Omega. I want to see Hunter and Tech and Wrecker and Echo. I want to see how Cal and Marin and Seer and Grease interact with the Bad Batch. That would be very interesting. That would be very yeah. interesting. All right. Second question. What is the most underrated Star Wars species? Good question. Good question. Good question. I'm going to say... Yeah, I'm going to say the, the Mon Calamari. Um, I, I, especially because of the arc they got in season four that you know I love so much. Mon Calamari are really cool, and they don't get enough attention. They make some of the best cruisers in the galaxy. Um, those those Nebulon B frigates are pretty pretty sweet, uh, and yeah, I think the Mon Calamari. All right. What do my you think? pick would be? Uh, my pick would have to be the um, the Athorians. They're such a cool oh, species, yeah. and they just don't. They just don't get any opportunity to do anything cool. What, you don't like Doobie Doof blah blah? Even when we added a Thorian bounty hunter, they immediately died in the corner. Oh, Wars. what's his name? Anka. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least, well, one of them died. I think yeah, the other one, one did too, actually. Whoops. Yeah. They got their hat um, taken. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight. It was a nice hat, okay? 
Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what is your favorite? Who is your favorite obscure Jedi? So, like, you know, you can't pick, you know, your Anakins, your Obi-Wans, your Ahsokas, your Windus, your Yodas. Uh, but like, you know, like, I'm thinking, like, Kiati, I'm thinking Plo, mm. I'm thinking Kit Fisto, I'm thinking mm. of all those people, the Shaktis of the world, yeah. the Luminars. I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with someone really obscure, I'm gonna go with Opo Rancisus. Who oh, wouldn't love to be, pick. who wouldn't love to be a, a, a bearded snake? How great is that? You know what the actual name of the species is? My favorite part is not that he's a bearded sna snake, my favorite part is that he's a Thispiasian. Pretty great, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a great name. Um, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm a big fan of Fisto. Not gonna lie to you. Um, but I'm gonna choose someone different. Yeah, I gotta do it. I'm gonna pick. Uh, I'm gonna pick Quinlan Voss. I want to know more about Quinlan Voss. I really like Quinlan Voss, and I love the, him in Hunt for Zero. I love that we get a brief appearance from him in Phantom Menace, and they expanded that to be an entire character, both in Legends and Canon. I want to see more Quinlan Voss. Yeah, I would um, love to see Quinlan Voss as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Then that is going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Um, watching all Star Wars, we can get our hands on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, uh, if you enjoy this episode, um, follow us on... Um, Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod, Instagram at Star Wars In a Galaxy. Um, you can uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We will be there. If we're not, you can email us at swinagalaxy at gmail.com. Next week, Jacob and I are going to be looking at the final four episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 6. That includes The Lost One and then what, what I call the Yoda and the Force arc. Voices, Destiny, and Sacrifice. Um, I'm very excited to get into all four of those. They're going to be so fun. Uh, but in the meantime, may the Force be with you. Always. <laughs>